0: If we're disconnected to anything in life, it's really easy to ignore it. So I, my feeling, and as Dr. Outdoors, of, of getting people to experience the nature and their planet and take pride in that and be aware. And it, can one single person change climate change? maybe a little bit, but collectively, if we care enough, we can do something about it. You are here for a reason.
1: But navigating this human life can be challenging. How do you care for your body, mind, and spirit to make the most of your time here on earth? How can you harness your incredible human potential? In this podcast, we explore these questions and more to help you craft your best life yet. Welcome to I Am Human hello humans i am your host dr yami and i am so happy that you are here with me today Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And if you love this show, please rate and review I Am Human on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. To be human means to have the privilege to explore nature and to be supported and nourished by nature. And to be human also means to age, but even as you age, to challenge yourself physically. Today, On I Am Human, our guest is Dr. Melissa Sunderman. She is a double board certified physician in internal medicine and lifestyle medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 20 years. She also has training in integrative medicine through the University of Michigan and has completed a professional training program in mind-body medicine through the Center for Mind-Body Medicine based in Washington, D.C. Her seven pillars of health include a whole food, plant slant dietary pattern, daily movement, restorative sleep, avoidance of risky behaviors such as tobacco, excessive alcohol, and drug use, stress management, social connection, and daily exposure to nature and fresh air. Dr. Sunderman is also known as Dr. Outdoors and chairs the Nature as Medicine Subcommittee for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. She does her best to practice what she preaches and enjoys running, biking, hiking, skiing, and spending time outdoors and creating adventures with her husband, two children, and two dogs. She is a 10-time Boston Marathon finisher, three-time full Ironman triathlon finisher, and currently training for several upcoming ultra marathons. She truly believes that age is just a number and is passionate about spreading this word to all of her patients, family, and friends. Today on I Am Human, we're going to learn more about the power of nature. How much nature do you really need to support your immune system, your well-being, your mental health, and how do you expose yourself to nature? Those practical questions are things that we're going to discuss. We're also going to talk about climate change and how it's changing nature around us. We talk about Dr. Sunderman's athletic pursuits and her approach to aging and fitness. I know that you're going to love this episode and learn so much from it. Dr. Sunderman is such a passionate, enthusiastic, and delightful human. As you listen to today's episode, I want you to think about how you can spend more time out in nature and what outdoor activities you think that you might enjoy or like to try. Thank you, humans, for tuning in. Now for the episode. This podcast episode contains sensitive topics that may be triggering to certain people. Listener discretion is advised. Dr. Melissa Sunderman, welcome to I Am Human. It's such a pleasure to speak with you today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be your guest today.
1: Well, we're going to have a fun conversation because I don't think I've talked very much about nature on the show. So let's start there. Why are you so passionate about nature? And why is it such an important part of your life and
0: your career? Well, passionate about nature, I think this started a long, in fact, I know it started a long time ago. And what's really fascinating is that my medical degree, I'm a DO, my doctor of osteopathic medicine. And along the way, I have realized that DO also stands very importantly for doctor outdoors. So it's perfect. <laughs> I was, Love it. yeah, the, the universe aligned and I have really come into my doctor outdoors. I just know that Throughout my life, I've just gravitated to being outdoors and it's been just a very centering and grounding and uh, a place where, where I really felt whole. And I've used nature and the benefits, the healing benefits of nature throughout my life, whether that's going through, you know, rigorous undergrad or medical school or family life. It's just something that I've been drawn to. And I always feel better when I'm around fresh air and nature and so I started digging into the the research why I felt so good, and and I found out that there there's actual research that's been here for a long, long time. And I decided, you know what, I need to educate others about this. And so, what really brought this to the forefront was um, about a year and a half ago at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine their annual conference. I submitted an abstract proposal about, I wanted to talk to our you know academy about the benefits of nature and my proposal was accepted. It was uh, pretty nerve wracking because I came on the stage in front of 2000 people immediately following Dr. Dean Ornish and Dr. T. Colin Campbell, which we know are luminaries to the lifestyle medicine field and on walks, you know, doctor outdoors. And I, I had such positive feedback that I said, okay, people want to know more about this. People want to know about nature prescribed. And so I um, went on to be the founding chair of the Nature as Medicine subcommittee for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, where we bring in speakers from all over actually the world to educate other members of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and therefore disseminate and have the ripple effect to bring this to our patients and the general population about all of the healing benefits of nature.
1: I love it. Well, I can just see the passion exuding off of you about this. But let's go back a little bit. Yeah. How were you exposed to nature and the outdoors? Did you have role models? Was your family really into it? Where did you grow up? Where did you grow up in a place that had abundant access
0: to the outdoors? Not really, Dr. Yami. I, um, my parents, I mean, we went cross country skiing. I think my mom, I love her to death. Absolutely. I think her idea of camping is probably going to a holiday inn. So it wasn't like, you know, <laughs> this, I didn't grow up as this hippie child. Um, but you know, I grew up in the 70s where we played, we played outdoors, you know, we would get on our I had my Schwinn uh, banana seat um, bicycle, and we would ride all of our neighborhoods, we build tree forts, we'd catch fireflies. This is just how I grew up and we got dirty, you know, and so that was uh, who I was. And as I went through college and, and made friends and met a boy, um, we started doing things that um, were really outdoorsy and mountain biking and camping and hiking and exploring and you know, getting equipment so that we could uh, support these interests. And I just really felt like I had found my home. In fact, I, I joke, I say, you know, my, My past life, I think I was a mountain goat because anytime I'm around mountains and I just feel it so at peace. So I've really incorporated these activities um, into my own life. My husband, um, we've been married for over 27 years. This is a big part of our relationship. Our children are now young adults. They're 22 and 24. We had them on skis as soon as they could walk. Um, We've gone camping with them. We made it fun. We said, this is so fun. We don't have electricity. We don't have water. We have to go to a water pump. This is so fun. And they're like... Yeah, they're like two and four. They're like, yeah, it is. This is great. <laughs> so um we must have done a good job because our, our kids graduated from university and they both moved to Denver, Colorado to be closer <laughs> to nature in the mountains. So my friends, um, you know, as we know as being physicians, the people that we are around, we tend to have similar habits to, right? So that's one of your biggest predictors of your um your wellness and your health and wellness is is who you're around. So my my family. We are very active. We like to go outdoors. A lot of times when we can take a family vacation, we make it a point to, you know, see and experience something uh, amazing and beautiful in nature so this past summer when the kids had a little bit of time off work we went to arches and canyon lands national parks and we spent the time just really exploring um, and getting all those benefits and seeing beautiful parts of the country and then my friends turns out my friends love nature too there's probably self-selection bias but um, so it's just really been a part of my life I really aim in fact i I'm sure I do get nature and fresh air every single day. Now, uh, you might say, well, you must live in a place where that's just so conducive. And I well, live in Michigan and Massachusetts. And so my quote is, there's no bad weather, just inappropriate clothing. So you just have to, you know, um, dress for the weather and get outdoors. And I guarantee you, you will always feel better by just spending time outdoors.
1: Yeah, I agree with that as far as making sure that you have the right clothing and the right gear for your weather. So I grew up in Texas, which doesn't get that cold. And I remember having snow days. I'm putting this in virtual quotes when it was just basically ice outside because it didn't snow, you know? And I thought right. that was so cool. Oh my gosh, ice. Right. Incredible. Ice. You know? Uh, and now I live in the Pacific Northwest where Washington State, it's very much like Colorado and Utah and Oregon and those states where the culture is just very geared towards outdoors. There's just yes. so many outdoor sports, so many places to hike and bike and rock climb and everything you can imagine. It's just like right there at our doorstep. But yeah. I grew up where I didn't get exposed to doing these kinds of activities. It wasn't part of my childhood. Now, similar to you though, I'm a child of the eighties, but I remember spending all day outside on my bike. My parents had no clue where I was all day going to the little stream, trying to get tadpoles and crawfish and all these things. And we raise our kids a little differently now. You know, I think we do have a little bit more fear of our child just being out of the house all day long and us not knowing where they are. So I think culture has changed a little bit, but I think there is some benefit to letting kids just go out and explore and dig in the dirt and, you know, wait around in in the the little creek and and do all of those things. So I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a good point as we start to think about how can we influence our children and make sure that we're role modeling these habits. Absolutely. And I think I'm going
0: to come back to that about kids and nature. I think two things. One, I think as kids, we are, we know we're innately connected to nature. It's just what we want to do, right? And as we get older through roles, responsibilities, technology, modern conveniences, we would get away from that. But I think as kids, like we know, like we are connected to these caterpillars and we want to save them and we want to rescue them and we want to find out more of them. And I think nature too, when kids are out in nature, and I know I was like this, you learn you know, resiliency and you learn risk assessment, right? It's just in the field kind of experimentation. If there's a log across a stream and as you're a kid, you're like, okay, can I get across the stream? Is that going to be wide enough? Is that going to be sturdy enough? And maybe you, you try it and, you know, you get a foot wet because you, you step into the stream, but hopefully no major accidents or, you know, um, repercussions. But I think that it can teach, you know, very early on about oh, you know, who that, that's a beehive. Let's stay away from that. Just some of these experimentations that, you know, I, again, I've raised kids. We had, you know, find my iPhone. <laughs> we still do. Um, you worry about them, but I think there's some things that it's okay for kids to explore and then learn. Like oh, that wasn't such a good idea. But it is very different than when we grew up. I agree with oh, that. absolutely, and I agree.
1: I think we should let our kids explore. I'll just say as a parent and a pediatrician, which I think pediatricians are like the most paranoid of all the doctors because we've seen all the negative potential consequences. So in my mind, I'm like thinking of worst case scenarios for every single thing my kids do. So I think it's good for them to be away from us too, (laughs) because as, as parents, we can be overprotective. Well, let's get into a little bit More about the science. How does exposure to nature
0: impact our health and well being? Yeah, so let's go back to the 1980s. So the science and the research started in Japan with Dr. King Lee, who is one of the primary investigators who started research into this. And he really started off with research into forest bathing or in um, Japanese is shinran-yoku. And that's a term that maybe people have heard of, a shinran-yoku forest bathing. And about 1982 in Japan, the reason why they were were really looking into this is they thought, well, being in nature, forest bathing, shinran-yoku probably can reduce stress. And so they were really forefront in their thinking of, let's see if we can reduce stress in our workers. So they, you know, nowadays we have workplace well-being, chief wellness officers. Well, this is back in the early 80s that Japan was really um, forward thinking on this. So they Dr. King Lee got a grant, um, and he did some of the first forest bathing studies in the world. And at first, he was looking at natural killer cell activity, which really is uh, a marker of our immune system. And we know that if we have higher levels of natural killer cell activity, we're probably going to have lower um, risk of infection, maybe even lower incident rates of cancers. So some of the first experiments is he took people into the forest for two days and he measured their natural killer cell activity. And what they found was an increase from baseline. And so they thought, well, maybe it's just that they're they living their homes and they're not having to wash dishes and do laundry and do homework and, and drive their kids around. So they took those same people to an urban environment and they measured the natural killer cell activity and they really did not see that increase from baseline. So they thought, well, we're onto something. And what's really interesting is that when... The subjects went back to their their homes. They measured the natural killer cell activity at one week and at one month, and they found even at one week and one month out, they still had elevated levels of that immune system marker, the natural killer cell activities. So when I talk as Doctor Outdoors about why the nature pill, and I show actually a pill full of you know trees and and, and blue spaces, is you know, the benefits is its duration of action, right? As you know, as a a pediatrician and I'm an internal medicine specialist, is that most of the medications have to be taken daily or maybe twice daily, three times a day. So have a very short life. Uh, Very few medications are long acting. And so, you know, nature getting outdoors today could provide benefits to your immune system even one month out. And then of course, you know, the cost of going outdoors a lot of times is absolutely free. You know, if you can step outside and maybe you live in an area that's not conducive, But maybe you can go to schoolyards, to local parks, um, find some trails, uh, and not have to pay money in our pharmaceuticals. We know, you know, the costs are exorbitant. And then, you know, we talk about side effects, medications these days when you look at TV commercials, listen to TV commercials, or if you, um, look at magazine articles or you get your own prescription, you take it that pamphlet and that like super like two point font of all the side effects, which, you know, are mostly adverse side effects and going outdoors, I say the effects are 99% positive. You know, you might get stung by a bee sometimes, you might get some poison ivy if you're doing gardening. When I was working in the East coast, we had to be aware of ticks, but really the benefits are great. So, so Dr. King Lee was really instrumental in starting this cascading of research, uh, to look into the the nature benefits. And so then they did larger studies in Japan where they would go across, you know, um, 12 different forests and uh, look at cortisol levels and heart rate levels and blood pressure levels. And what they found was spending time outdoors in an urban environment. And it didn't have to be hiking up a mountain or, you know, getting on a mountain bike and getting your heart rate up, just being in the forest environments lowered our blood pressure, which is a good thing, lowered our heart rate, which is a good thing, and lowered our cortisol levels. And cortisol is, as we know, we need cortisol in our body. If, if you don't have enough cortisol, you end up in the ICU. But we don't want high levels of cortisol because that can promote inflammation. So just being outdoors can reduce level of cortisol. They've also done studies um, fairly recently in Finland when they looked at medication requirements. And what they found was spending time outdoors, that their participants uh, required less uh, medications involving asthma, blood pressure, and even mental health. We know that it's good for our mood, being outdoors boosts our serotonin levels. So also some studies about green cover and tree canopies with decreased rate of hospitalizations for dementia, for Parkinson's, and a study recently came out looking at telomere length. So telomere length, telomeres are those little like shoestring, like the ends of the shoestring, and we know that lengthening telomeres can correlate to longer lifespan and shortening the telomeres can correlate with shorter lifespan. So spending time around green spaces and tree canopy can actually increase telomere length. So some fascinating data that's coming out and more and more every day. And I I try to keep on top of things as much as I can as Dr. Outdoors.
1: Yeah. And it's very complex too, because when you're in nature, you're also getting physical activity, right? You're usually walking around or doing something, even if it's not Like you said, it doesn't have to be aggressive physical activity where you're out of breath and not feeling good, but also it can be meditative for a lot of people. A lot of people like that kind of walking meditation. And I know that there's definitely research on telomere length and that's on the end of our DNA strands on meditation and how that can preserve and lengthen our telomeres as well. So it's like all of these cumulative effects of being out in nature. You talked about the mental health, but what about subjective well-being? Have they done studies to just rate, do people say they feel better subjectively yeah. after they're out in nature? Yeah.
0: So there was a study that came out just um, in 2022, I believe, that did exactly that. And it was pretty, uh, I think it was uh, 19,000 uh, subjects that they uh, they polled to look at their subjective well-being scores. And they were measured over seven days, so it wasn't a really long study. But what they found was people who spend more time outdoors had an overall perceived higher well-being score when they're looking at themselves. And I think it's important to know too, of what is that nature dose? Now, as doctor outdoors, I wouldn't love it if I just lived in nature, but that's not really, you know, we've got things called jobs and we've got things called family and I've got a couple of dogs. And so what is that nature dose? And what the research has been consistent about is the nature dose is about 20 minutes per day or 120 minutes per week. So for some people, and um, in, in this well-being, um, when they looked at it, some people who, you know, Monday through Friday, it's working, it's driving kids around, it's really, really hectic. But then on the weekends, you have a little bit more time, is that you could even sort of get, you know, an hour on Saturday or an hour on Sunday and still have the well-being effects from that. Uh, but really trying to hone in on 20 minutes per day. And just like when I'm counseling my patients about physical activity and our recommendations are 25 to 30 minutes per day. And I'm like, but you can break that up, right? You can break that up into segments. You can do the same thing with your nature exposure. And we are getting more and more research to suggest early morning sunlight is really important. And, uh, you know, even you living in the state of Washington where, you know, you know, that it can be sort of cloudy. It's like that in Michigan a lot too. That's okay. Because even though you feel like you're not getting a lot of sunlight exposure, you are. And so it's important to get outside probably before the hour of 9am. You don't have to rise with the the roosters, but get out before 9am without sunglasses. And you don't have to look up at the sky, but you will be absorbing that sunlight into your retinas which goes into the suprachiasmic chiasm. And what that does is that can increase our our, uh, serotonin level, can decrease our cortisol level. It aligns our circadian rhythm. And we're learning more and more about really... Need to align our circadian rhythm, and that means that we are awake when the sun is up, and we settle down when the sun sets. And it also gets our melatonin cycle revved for the day. We want to build up our melatonin as we go throughout the day, so that it peaks in the evening and helps us to fall asleep and stay asleep. So I tell people, you know, try to get outdoors. You know, in the morning if you can. If you've got a dog, go walk your dog. Go for. That's when I do my exercise. But if you, you know, just sitting outside on your porch and journaling or having a cup of tea, just trying to get outdoors in the morning is really important.
1: I love that. And I just want to put a plug in for where I live. So I live in Yakima, Washington, which is actually east of the Cascades. So we have 300 days of sunshine. Oh, per wow. Year here. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> but we're also very high latitude. So this is the time of year that's hard for everybody because the sun doesn't rise till after 7 a.m. and it sets at four. So so it's hard this time of year anyway, just because we're so high in latitude. But uh, most of the year, we're so like spoiled and lucky that we get nice, bright, beautiful, clear days because it's a high desert. And definitely that sun exposure. I talk to my patients about that, especially my teens because as we know, teens, their sleep rhythms kind of slip as, you know, they get into those teen years. They used to think that it was just part of being a teenager. Now we're realizing that it probably has to do more with habits. So I think that's a lifestyle medicine thing that we can teach our, our teenagers as well, is that, you know, if you're getting your early morning sun exposure, trying to keep your schedule consistent and not going to bed at three a.m. on Saturday, you know, on Friday night, which they tend to do. So, absolutely. Okay, so this may be a silly question. Okay, but what counts as nature exposure? Can you just go outside? Because what if you live in New York City? Like, does just going outside count?
0: I'm going to say, yes, it does. And now when we are around green spaces, there's actually some really cool like things that go on. Um, So anything that's green and living, trees, shrubs, plants, produce something called phytonsides. Phytin P-H-Y-T-O-N, means plant, right? When we talk about yummy things to eat that are good for us, we talk about all the phytonutrients. So phytonsides, inside means cidal, means antibacterial. So anything that is green emits these Organic volatile compounds, and the reason why they emit this is is to protect them from getting ill. the The trees want to flourish. The cool thing is, anytime we are around anything green that's living, we are inhaling these phytoncides, and we get the benefits. So that Dr. King Lee that I spoke about, one of the early pioneers of forest bathing and all the research, he did a really cool experiment. uh, Very small. Um, He had twelve subjects, and they each got their own hotel room, and half of the rooms he rigged up to emit organic essential oils from this hinoki um, cypress trees, i.e. like emitting phytoncides, And then the other six subjects got owed to nothing. And after three nights, he took them out and he measured the natural killer cell activity. And the people who were inhaling those essential oils from the Honoki cypress trees actually had a boost in 20% boost in their natural killer cell activity and they felt more refreshed. So you don't, if I have a lot of patients, especially when I was working in um, Massachusetts from Boston, from uh, Manhattan, that didn't have, you know, a national park in their backyard like you do. And just going on tree-lined streets, parks, and that's why Central Park is there. And we've got the Boston Common, even having houseplants. If you've got a balcony, put houseplants there. And let's say that there's some people that, I mean, where you live is just not safe, right? So we have research to suggest um, listening to nature can benefit. And there is a study that looked at just six-minute sound bites of listening to birdsong versus Urban sirens, traffic. And we saw a decrease in anxiety and feelings of paranoia listening to birdsong. And unfortunately, increased rate, uh, feelings of depression with those loud urban. So, even trying to listen to birdsong can be wonderful. It can be if you open your window and it's natural, or maybe just listening to it, um, you know, via you know, virtual. And then there's, you know, been some studies that have looked at viewing nature, like if you can't get outdoors. And a pretty famous study that looked At hospital patients, and these this was done in the eighties, and it was uh, patients that had their gallbladders removed, so post cholecystectomy, and some of the patients had they all had windows. Some of them looked out at trees and gardens, and other windows just basically faced a brick wall. And what they found were the the patients that had these windows that had a, a, a view of nature required less pain medication, had shorter stays. And according to the nurse's notes, <laughs> they were better well-behaved. So this is all goodness of just if, even if you can't um, be out in nature, having some virtual nature um, is wonderful. And then, you know, we talk about green spaces a lot. Oh, I got my dog here. Um, but also blue spaces are equally important. And there's not quite as much robust data and evidence about blue spaces, but blue spaces are equally important. Uh, when we talk about blue spaces, I'm talking about oceans and lakes and streams and ponds and waterfalls. And sometimes I have individuals that say, Dr. Outdoors, I'm all about water. And whenever I get near water and the rhythm and the sounds and the smells, I just feel at home. And absolutely, blue spaces plus green spaces, it's all good. Now, I will say that the um, research uh, is not quite as robust for blue spaces as, as it is with Uh, green spaces. However, there are studies and there's a study that I like to share that looked at, we talked about uh, well being and looking at midlife well being and what there was a correlation to blue space exposure has young children, seems to correlate with improved well-being in midlife. So the take-home point is if you have young kids, if you've got grandkids, you've got nieces, nephews, bring them to blue spaces when they're young. And I think they, you know, you develop this feeling of safety and happiness and curiosity around those blue spaces. And then you probably tend to gravitate towards those blue spaces again as you're getting older.
1: Yeah. And everybody's personality and preferences are different. You know, like I'm definitely not as much of an ocean person, but my happy place would be on a mountain in a cabin with the sounds of a, of a river, a creek, you know, with that. I love that sound of it flowing and, you know, bubbling and, um, just the Big tall trees. And I live in the desert, but I'm very close to that. So at least I can visit it. But also, you know, I've been to beautiful desert places where even though you don't have these tall trees and you don't have the water right there, it also provides that sense of calmness and groundedness to be around that type of nature. So everybody has their different preferences. I think the point you're trying to make is just get out there get wow. in nature and get exposed. Now, one question I have, and this is what I was thinking about earlier when I was talking about culture. Culturally, I live in a place where there's a lot of people that love outdoor things, but there can also be the opposite. There can be some cultures that feel like you shouldn't be outside because you're going to get, you know, harmed by the weather. Like it's too cold. When it's too cold, you're going to get sick. We've heard that one before, right? Or you're going to get dirty or, you know, you're going to get hurt. So what are the things that we can do to start helping those people or people have those ideas themselves to get out in nature?
0: Yeah. So I think that's where as healthcare providers of, you know, doctors and nurses and uh, physician extenders and psychologists and exercise physiologists, personal trainers, that we can start prescribing nature, nature as a prescription, so that we can break down those obstacles and barriers. And let's face it, we know that behavior change is really difficult. We are lifestyle medicine physicians. We are all about creating and maintaining, and sustaining healthy lifestyle behaviors, but it's really hard. That's why like 90% of New Year's resolutions like last for, you know, one month and then they go away. So I think it's really breaking down these obstacles and really trying to educate. Uh, The EPA uh, did a study looking at Americans and the average American spends 93% of their day indoors. So that's 87% inside buildings of our homes, our schools, our workplaces, stores, and then about 6% in in automobiles and public transportation. So only about 7% of our day is spent outdoors. And this is not an all or nothing. Like you don't have to pitch a tent and live in a tent. This is just really trying to think about did I get outdoors today? Did I get fresh air? And again, that 20 minutes per day, maybe 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening, you know, trying to break down, um, you know, obstacles of, you know, my kids were in sports. And so like if they had ballet class or a soccer game, like, okay, I have, this is before they had they could drive. I'm going to like, to the practice and I'll walk around the soccer field or while they're at the ballet class, I'm going to go take a walk. So sort of like, what are some things that we can do? But I think as healthcare providers of really trying to um, instill this as a prescription, because we know, I told you about the health benefits, right? If we can lower your blood pressure, perhaps lower your blood pressure medication requirement to maybe even get you off of medication, lower your stress level, get you to feel better, you know, both physically and emotionally, That should be a prescription. So I think the more that we can make this accessible, right, and break down those myths and you're not going to get sick. Um, In fact, you're going to boost your immune system. Here's the research that shows that you're boosting your immune system when you get outdoors. Yeah, I love that. And I think, too, is working on
1: mindset because it totally makes sense to me that the majority of us are going to be indoors, sedentary, because it's comfortable and we want to avoid discomfort. And especially when the weather doesn't feel quite right, or it's too cold or it's too hot, that you convince yourself it's not worth it. But I think talking to patients about how, yeah, it, you have to overcome that discomfort in order to feel the benefits of it. The discomfort's only temporary, especially right. I know in the winter, if you're wearing enough layers, you get the right clothes. You're cold for a little bit, but then you warm up once Absolutely. you start walking or snowshoeing and doing your thing. And then you're just like, man, it's beautiful out here. I hear the birds, I get to see other birds people sometimes, you walk by and smile at them, you get those little points of connection, those micro connections. So there's just so many benefits, but you do have to kind of train your brain to say, okay, it's going to be uncomfortable for a little bit, but then I'm going to overcome it. And then I'm going to feel better afterwards.
0: Absolutely. And one of the exercises that I love to share, it's 54321. And we, you know, love to um, uh, really share about the, the power of mindfulness and a mindful practice. And for some people, they're lifelong meditation. They're like, oh my gosh, I, I'm on this. And then for other individuals, that sounds really intimidating. Like, I no way can I sit there and think about nothing. <laughs> for, so if we practice mindfulness and we incorporate nature in our five senses, it's a wonderful way to get all the benefits of nature and practice mindfulness. So 54321, though what that means is step outside. And you can do this no matter what age you are. You can do this with your toddlers, right? So At first, only focus on five things you can see and really pay attention to what you're seeing. You're going to notice things. It could be in your backyard. In fact, I had a a patient who was like, I did your exercise and I've lived in my house for 20 years and I never noticed this one statue that had always been there, right? So focusing maybe on cloud formation or just nature that's around you. So focusing on what you see and then shift to maybe four things you can hear and really pay attention to your hearing. Maybe it's different kind of bird song. Maybe it's the trees rustling in the wind. Maybe it's some rabbits hopping around. And then four things or three things you can touch and actually touch things, right? We don't, the curiosity as we get older, we're not grabbing things as much. So grab some leaves and feel how, you know, rough the edges are or bend down and touch moss on a on a rock and feel how a spongy it is. And then hone in on two things you can smell, like what are you smelling? Are things in bloom? Are you, is it just rained? And you're smelling that after rain smell, which fun fact, it's called petrichor. So are you smelling the, the scent of petrichor? And then maybe, maybe one thing you can taste. Um, I don't want um, Dr. Outdoors responsible for people eating anything poisonous, but that's just a really practical <laughs> uh, way to incorporate nature, your five senses and practice mindfulness.
1: I love that, and that also gives you something to do in case yeah. you
0: feel like you're going to get bored. <laughs> right. so exactly, gives you some
1: tasks to concentrate as you warm up outside. Mm-hmm. All right. right, I love that. Well, I kind of want to ask your opinion on climate change and how it's affecting nature in many ways, increasing natural disasters all over the world. And the other thing I thought of, and we talk about fresh air, but because of pollution, there's some places where the air isn't fresh. So what are your thoughts about this harsh reality that we're facing in our world today?
0: Yeah. And that's just what it is. It's harsh reality. And my belief is the more that we connect with nature because we as humans are nature and E.O. Wilson and Eric Fromm, you know, have this, um, introduced biophilia and biophilia is the innate connection of all things living and modern conveniences. It makes it very easy to not feel connected, you know? So getting back to biophilia and the more that we connect with nature, the more we're going to connect with our planet. And the more that we're going to want to take care of our planet, living in Michigan and Massachusetts and you in Washington, the Canadian forest fires, right? I mean, we had effects in Michigan where the air quality was horrible. We were told not to go outside. I mean, that's how much climate change you know, is affecting. We're seeing increase in food prices because of the drop that's going on. In fact, in 2018, I think there was like a 20% increase in food prices across the country from natural disasters. Some people are losing their homeowner's insurance because insurance, they're not going to underwrite it because of these natural disasters. Coral reefs are dying because of the, you know, just two degree elevation in ocean temperatures can affect the acidity. And so coral reefs are dying. We have lakes that are drying up. So water supplies are becoming of concern. So this is a, a real big Problem. And again, if we're disconnected to anything in life, it's really easy to ignore it. So I, my feeling and as Dr. Outdoors of, of getting people to experience the nature and their planet and take pride in that and be aware. And it can one single person change climate change? Maybe a little bit, but collectively, if we care enough, we can do something about it. I love that
1: perspective. That's a beautiful way to see it. And and I agree. And especially the difference between growing up in Texas and now living in Washington state where there's so many advocates for the planet and for earth because we just love it so much. And I've learned to love it so much that you want to take care of it and you want to protect it. But that's a really good point. Yeah. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about you and, and, and some of the perspectives you have on aging as well so you are quite the athlete and you've accomplished a lot so tell us a little bit about your athletic pursuits when did you start doing endurance events and how has it impacted your life
0: well let's see well my first endurance event i was a ballet dancer like growing up uh, all throughout you know elementary middle high school even college and when you talk about athletes a lot of people don't think of dancers as athletes and they are athletes. Um, so I sort of tossed in my point shoes for a pair of running shoes in college. Um, just had some friends that said, hey, want to do a marathon? And I said, sure. Okay. I think, Dr. Yami, you're probably similar. Those of us who went to medical school, I think we're goal oriented. And I'm like, sure, that's a goal. I'll do that. I learned that that's a very difficult thing to, to accomplish, but um, I did it. So I, I found that, again, I'm so connected to the outdoors and moving my body outdoors is something that's like like religious to me. So I I really just found joy in this and it was just really wanting to um, try new things. And so I made it my goal after doing uh, my first marathon was in um, 1996, I believe in Chicago. And, oh, no, 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 it was in 1992. And I was in, then I was in medical school and I heard about the Boston Marathon and I heard that in 1996, it was going to be the 100th anniversary of the Boston Marathon. And I said, I think I want to do that. And then I learned, oh, you have, you have to qualify for Boston. I said, well, okay. What does that entail? And so this was in second year of medical school, as we know that the, it's a pretty busy time. So I worked really hard. And I had uh, two other medical students that we decided that we were going to train uh, together. And I was able to qualify for the Boston Marathon. So I did run the 100th Marathon. And in Boston, and this was in 1996, so this was before cell phones. So I, I ran with a disposable camera, you know, so I could take pictures along the way and, and have that experience. And I was born in Massachusetts. So I have a lot of relatives there. So I had a lot of family support. And the Boston Marathon is just an incredible experience entire city is out there on patriots day they all have the day off work so they're they're having fun while we're running 26.2 miles and i was just you know really smitten by that and just the positivity of all those people no matter you know if you were the elite runners trying to win versus hey I just want to accomplish this and and be a part of this um, celebratory event. Uh, It was just wonderful. And, you know, I started mountain biking and, you know, hiking and, and just again, like pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone. We know that, you know, real growth happens when we get into that challenge zone. And there's so many analogies I, I make when I'm doing an endurance event of there's, always usually a time I want to give up and quit. And I have this little talk with myself of like, you can stop. It's okay. Your family still will love you. Well, okay, well, why don't you try to get like to the next aid station? You know, don't give up yet. You know, and all these things that that you learn about yourself of like, keep moving forward, you know, just, just one step at a time. Like, don't think about, you know, the big thing of how many more miles of just like, hey, just try to get to the next aid station. Hey, try to get you know a little bit further. And, you know, in life, there's times that no, life, I'm 53. There's been plenty of times in life that you feel like, uh, I'm not tough enough for this. And then you say, okay, dig deep, don't give up, just keep moving forward and you get through it, right? So um, it's been a blast. And so I'm training, well, I will start training soon for my 11th Boston Marathon um, that I'll be doing in April. I'm doing it with some close friends of mine uh, who uh, helped keep me uh, motivated. And we're all in our 50s and we're all professional women and moms. And so it's been just, uh, they're my tribe. So we're going to have fun doing that. And I got into um, doing ultras, which is like, Fifty kilometers or fifty miles. A lot of trails. Um, it's more of an adventure where you know you just get out there and there's. I don't care about my time. I just um, am out there to to have fun and I always meet really interesting people along the way and and you get a lot of time to tell your life story <laughs> and to learn from others. So I love to ski. I, uh, we get out to Colorado almost, well, pretty much every year to go skiing and our kids are into that sport now too, and better skiers than we are. So it's just really a part of my, my life. And I feel better when I move my body. I'm, like I said, I'm in my mid fifties. So I think it's important to a certain amount of acceptance that. There's things that my body won't tolerate anymore, you know, and that's okay. And I'm slowing down and that's okay. Um, But I'm still getting out there and doing the best I can for myself. And, and it feels good. It feels good to move my body and still continue to challenge myself.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. It's all about perspective though, right? Cause there's some people way younger than you that are never gonna run a marathon, much less an ultra marathon. So it's hard because we can be hard on ourselves, but it seems like your inner voice is very kind and gentle. Has it always been like that? Or have, have there been times when your inner voice is a more of a harsh critic when it comes to your athletic pursuits,
0: your career or anything else in life? So that's a really interesting question. I'm really grateful that I had parents that raised me to believe that I I could do anything. (laughs) And, And when I said, you know, I wanted to be a doctor when I was like eight years old and we didn't have even a single nurse in our family, no one came from any medical background. And instead of saying, you're a girl and we don't know any, you know, we don't have any medical, they said, sure, go for it. And it just, from an early age, it kind of just made me feel like, well, if I want to do something and of of course, respect what that takes. I think that you don't want to like say, Hey, I'm going to do this and not know the process, but really having a positive mindset. And that's not to say, you know, that there's not an inner critic or insecurities that, that arise, but I think from, from early childhood of being instilled in me that pursue your dreams, you know, and I'm going to say that, yeah, have I failed? Yeah, I have and that's okay too and when you look back you think well you know rather than failing that probably was a pathway I wasn't meant to take and look at you know how this evolved and some of the best gifts in my life I didn't plan out they sort of were a pathway that I really didn't mean to go down but I ended up going down and just having perspective and and again I'm in my 50s and so there's there's storylines of my life that I wouldn't necessarily choose, but it happens and it makes you um, more authentic, less judgmental. And especially as a primary care physician, I think that's really important to know that, you know, we all have our struggles that doesn't define us and, you know, some not so good things happen to good people and that's okay too. So I, that's what I've really appreciated is, is, um, the authenticity that, that comes with, Living
1: a life, yeah, I love that you were talking about how whenever you do, and you know, an event, and you want to quit, you tell yourself, "Well, my family still love me if I if I don't finish this or if I quit now." And you acknowledge that yes, it's the same, even bigger picture of like, am I enough, even if I don't run a marathon ever or even if I don't get my dream job, am I enough? Do I have that inherent worth? And the answer is yes. So just take all of these pursuits as fun and part of the experience. And sometimes we're going to fail and you know whatever. We tried. Yeah. And sometimes we're we're going to achieve it. And it's all part of that fun exploration. Just like we were talking about in nature as kids when we're in nature as kids, it's fun exploration. We're not thinking about winning or losing or failing. We're thinking about just exploring and having fun, which I think we can learn a lot from kids in
0: that way. So Uh, is your next event the Boston Marathon then? uh, Probably the next big one. One thing I do want to share that I've really embraced is... um, When you go to running events or probably other events, they have someone called a pacer. And a pacer is, let's say you're going to do a 5K. You've never done 5K before. You're like, I've been running like 11 minute miles, but what if I get nervous and I, I go out too fast? Well, a pacer will hold a sign and will keep that pace. And so I have embraced, I've been pacing groups, distances anywhere from a 5K up to a marathon, probably have been pacing for maybe, gosh, going on like 10 years now. I love it. Absolutely love it. I've used Pacers along the way. And for me now being a Pacer, it's my time to give back. And, uh, you know, my Instagram handle is Motivator Melissa. And it just, when I'm out there and I can help others push beyond what they thought they could do or give them the confidence or give them that motivation. It is so worthwhile. And just, you know, getting people to, you know, whatever their finish line may be. Maybe it's like, hey, I'm going to start this race. I'm going to see how far I can go. Great. You know, or this is my first marathon. I just want to finish. Absolutely. And it is, it's a really emotional experience. I paced, um, I faced a marathon in uh, May and then I faced another one this fall and we had some Incredible stories out there. You know, you learn about what people are. This is their first time. You know, doing something like this, or they made it this goal. They went through a really hard time in life, or a health problem, and so they're out there. And I get emotional when we cross the finish line, and I've got my people that I've been pacing with. I mean, the victory for them and um, inspiring. So just to have that intimacy of human connection and human life. And when we're out there, I don't care, you know, how, what your age is. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your job is. I don't care what you we're out there as humans showing up, you know, authentically and just trying to be our best selves that day.
1: Yeah. I, I love that so much. Sometimes I'll just watch finish line cameras. Yes. I'm actually training for my very first half Ironman. So oh I gosh. will watch Yay. finish line cameras and just cry because I'm like, it's just so beautiful when people are able to achieve that dream and it's hard. It's really hard work and you do it and you're like, I did this, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So
1: tell us a little bit about your approach to aging and fitness. How, how do you see it for yourself, but also
0: for your patients? So again, acceptance, right? And being in this age bracket of mid 50 female menopause, perimenopause, things change. They just do hormones change and, and bodies change, and it's difficult, right? It's just like, oh, I've never really struggled with this part of my body and now overnight I am. So it's really learning that that's okay and balancing that you still got to do something, right? Acceptance, but not screw it, man. I'm just going to like lay in the couch, you know? So one of the things with aging that's really important is strength training, strength training, strength training, and resistance training. So Personally, I love to just go outdoors and move my body. And I strength training for me is like, well, do I really have to go back inside and do strength training? Um, whereas my husband's the opposite; loves to lift weights and things like that. And that being said, I know it's really important. As we age, we lose muscle mass. It's called sarcopenia. That really happens as we go through menopause, and uh, where. I have been working at Canyon Ranch. We do DEXAs. So DEXA uh, scans look at bone density, but also we would do body composition. So looking at total body fat, lean body mass, and then that visceral fat, which visceral fat is not subcutaneous. You can't see it. You can't pinch it or anything like that. It's the dangerous kind of fat that surrounds your organs. So body composition is always important. As we get older, it it becomes more important. Elevated visceral fat is associated with increased risk of um, heart disease, insulin resistance, dementia, um, certain uh, forms of cancer. So really important to be aware of your body composition. And the more that we can try to preserve or possibly even build lean body mass as we age is really, really important. Does this need to be crazy? Do you have to like, you know, become a a weightlifter? (laughs) um, No, but trying to get, you know, two to three, strength training intervals. And that could be using weights, um, free weights, but that also can be using your own body weight. So doing planks. I, I love to do planks. I you know, went online and you know looked at a plank series and it's helped me. I put my earbuds in and just do a plank series and some squats and some lunges, and you can use bands and TRX, something that I think with behavior change and getting habits, it's something that you feel confident you can do. So for me, it's like, okay, I can do 15 minutes and it doesn't have to be crazy. I mean, yeah, it might be better if I did more, but 15 minutes is something I knew I could do and really uh, trying to embrace that. And it's it's just so important when we look at lean body mass for um, own density, for decreasing risk of falls as we age, you know, and you fall and you break a hip, like, I've been a hospitalist. We see where that goes, right? The immobility and um, sedentary and you get a blood clot, you develop a pneumonia. It's just gonna be a cascading effect. effect. So again, take home point is gonna be like, accept, yep, that you're getting older and there might your body might look different. It might feel different. And there are some things that we can do to mitigate you know, health risks that are associated with that. But it, it does take effort and it takes healthy habits. And you have to, Choose something that is sustainable, right? And when people ask me, um, doctor, doctor, like what's the best form of exercise for me? And I say, well, what do you like to do? I have fallen in love with pickleball. <sighs> love it, love it. And I'm like, then that's the best form of exercise for you because you enjoy it and you're gonna keep doing it. You know, other people are really into bird watching and they've got their Merlin app and they love to get, go outside. And I said, keep doing that. You know, every time you're bird watching, you're walking in the woods and you're getting movement. So I think it's finding something that you enjoy doing, perhaps um, getting accountability partners for me that really helps is like, Hey, you know, you want to meet for a run tomorrow? And I might wake up and feel like, ah, but I've got someone meeting me. Right. So I think trying to find ways to make your level and your, uh, your success rate higher. Totally agree. And I will
1: say, yes, we have to accept that our bodies change, even just day to day. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I might be able to lift a certain amount today, but tomorrow I might have fatigue and not be able to lift that much. So I think acceptance is really important to be realistic. But I really feel that the majority of people underestimate how much they can do. And they use aging as an obstacle to say, I'm too old for that. I can't do that anymore. Where really probably most people can do way more than they think they can. They just have to believe that they can, and then just start taking the steps to adequately do whatever that they need to do to get there. But that age is not necessarily a barrier to still pursuing some of these goals you have in your life it may just you know, you're probably not going to finish number 1 or you know, the top my, 10 but my, you know you can do those things you can still absolutely. go do those things so. and i
0: i like to say anything is better than nothing right yes. and when we look at brain health and cognitive abilities what's so exciting is you know for years decades as a primary care physician I, you know i was seeing alzheimer's dementia uh, quite often we still you know with, it's increasing rates but we we didn't know much about it. We didn't know what we could do to prevent it. And we didn't have medications that really did anything. And now learning about lifestyle behaviors and their interconnection with our cognition. And when we talk about physical activity, I mean, holy cow, you know, moving your body at that modern intensity up to five times per week, about 30 minutes per day can lower your risk of Alzheimer's dementia by 40 percent. That's huge, right? If there is a pill that reduces your risk of dementia by 40%, holy cow, everyone would be on it. So I think it's, it's knowing why this is important. You know, it's not just about a number on the scale or, you know, popping muscles. It's like, these are the reasons you're investing today, you know, for the future, right? And, and getting people to understand that. And guess what? It feels good. And so I tell people, you know, again, break down your barriers. Or if you want to do exercise in the morning, lay out your clothes, maybe even sleep in them. There's times that I've like slept in my running clothes. (laughs) so that I knew I got up and I just saw the door. (laughs) (laughs) So take, you know, make sure that you don't have barriers. And I say one of the hardest exercises at the gym is opening the front door and walking in, right? Once you get started, or I said to people, like if you're going out for a walk or a jog or ride your bike, tell yourself you'll do it for two minutes. Oh, I can do it for two minutes. Guess what? Pretty much you're going to keep going once you get through those first couple of minutes because it feels good and you're never going to regret it when you, when you're done. You always feel better. Yeah. It's a win, win, win. What do you wish more people knew? I wish more people knew that 1% better is enough. Right. And I wish more people knew and we're both, you know, lifestyle medicine that more people knew that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Ben Franklin's quote from so long ago, and it is so true. And you know, so much um, of today's talk about longevity and longevity. Well, we're about yes, you want to live longer, but I want you to have increase your well span. You know, your quality of life, your your vitality, and that doesn't have to be perfection, right? It's progress, not perfection. And I and I keep saying to my patients, one percent better. So if you're not eating a single fruit or vegetable, See if you can eat one. If you're not, you know, you, everyone has like smart watches or smartphones, and so like if you're only getting a thousand steps per day because you have a remote job, or see if you can get two thousand. If you're not sleeping well, and you're like we talked about circadian rhythms, you're staying up until two in the morning. See if you can, you know, shift that needle and try to get in bed an hour earlier or wake up an hour earlier. Try to aim to get six and a half to seven hours of sleep. If you're you know, with stress management, if you haven't dabbled into deep breathing, you know, try to do 10 deep breaths each day, you know, just little by little. We know that there's a huge role of social connection and, you know, studies now showing that loneliness and social isolation increases our risk of mortality and um, in dementia. So, so, Finding someone you could, you know, talk to or or go for a walk with, getting outdoors. So these small incremental changes can really add up. And being honest with yourself about what do you think you can do. It's not about everyone else, right? Everyone else might be, you know, doing things this way. And you say, Well, hey, I I think I I think I could do a smoothie. I think I could do that. Yeah, I think I could walk to get my mail or, you know, finding out something that you can do. And you're going to feel good about accomplishing that rather than having these huge goals that you're not able to obtain because they're, they're not relatable and using, you know, we have the smart, uh, smart acronym for creating baby behavior change. So I just wish more people knew that you can move the needle in any way that you move that needle is going to benefit you.
1: Yeah, that's such great advice. Start from where you're at and go from there and just take baby steps because that's Absolutely. all you need to continuously Absolutely. get
0: better. Well, what does it mean to be human? Well, that's a small question there. <laughs> so what does it mean to be human? Now, I see humankind as being like this this infinite potential and this, it's our physical bodies and our mental bodies and our spiritual bodies and our energetic Properties that all exist and are interconnected. And as we've talked about nature so much, it, it really is that, you know, we are all interconnected. And in fact, if you look at our own, what we think as humankind, and let's just talk about the gut microbiome for one second, right? We've got 38 trillion organisms, bacteria, viruses, fungi living within us. So to be human, is I think accepting that we are a living creature among so many other living creatures amongst us. And to know that, yeah, our potential and our connection is ultimately really, really important.
1: Wow, that's amazing. I love it. I love how you took it to the macro and then brought it to the micro and then back out again. (laughs) So very beautiful, very beautiful. Well, Dr. Melissa, this has been fantastic. What a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for bringing us your passion, your enthusiasm, and your motivation. I appreciate <laughs> that so much. How can we connect with you and what products and services do you offer?
0: So on Instagram, I actually have two handles. I know it's a little bit confusing, uh, a little bit more work for me, but I'm um, at, my Instagram handles are at motivatormelissa and also at the doctor outdoors. I'm also very active on LinkedIn, and you can just put in my name, Melissa Sunderman. And that's where you'll find where I'll do a lot of um, articles about nature's medicine and lifestyle medicine. So I'm really active on Um, I'm on Facebook as well. And then as far as products, I am really proud of a collaboration I um, have done with one of my lifestyle medicine colleagues, uh, Dr. Robin Tiger. You may know her as Stress-Free MD. So Robin, um, original board certifications in diagnostic radiology, but she's also lifestyle medicine board certified and has done all of this training in mindfulness and meditation and yoga, uh, trauma-informed. And so we came up with a program called Revive, and Revive is really... A health and well-being group coaching model that we started with other physicians because we felt like even though physicians know how to take up other people, they don't know how to take care of themselves. And so it's grounded in the evidence-based pillars of lifestyle medicine. And the great thing about Revive is now we are going to be growing it so it's, uh, that we can serve the general population. And we do both didactic um, parts of going through the pillars of lifestyle medicine, as well as experiential. So actually learning the how we wanted to teach you the what and why, but also the how. So revive. And if you want to learn more about our revive program, you would go to www.stressfreemd.net backslash revive, and you can learn more about our program. So that's really exciting. And um, we are growing and, and um, going to expand that program.
1: I love that. You're doing such wonderful work. So I really appreciate everything that you're doing and all, like I said, the passion and energy that you bring to this work. So thank Thank you, you. Dr. Melissa Sunderman, so much for being a
0: guest on I Am Human. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Yaming, And I am Dr. Outdoors and I am human. Thank you for
1: listening to another episode of I Am Human. I would be so honored if you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. We love our listeners and take your feedback seriously. If you have questions or constructive feedback, you can email us at podcast at dryami.com. That's podcast at D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com. I am your host, Dr. Yami Kasorla lancaster I Am Human is produced by myself and Alejandra Parra. Graphics designed by Alejandra Parra. Music by Angela Sof with Glowbox Productions and edited by the Castos Production Team. Remember, human, you are here for a reason. Have fun, explore, and live your life to the fullest.